Well, good morning, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> My name is Steve Brooks, uh, one of the pastors here at First Methodist Midland, uh, usually uh, my uh, Good friend and colleague, Pastor Kurt, is by my side uh, during a uh, Bible study, uh, but unfortunately, uh, he is at home uh, taking care of sick family members, and so uh, continue to, to pray uh, God's best and blessing and healing over the Borden family, and we will trust that Pastor Kurt will be able to be back with us uh, next week. Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hopefully we got off to a, a to a great start, and uh, I'm I'm curious if we got through the whole year and the Lord blessed you, would that be a good year? What 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 does it look like to ask for a blessing from the Lord? Just want you to ponder that for a second. And is it really just that easy to say, God, would you bless me? Remember that word in Hebrew is the word Barak. And uh, the literal meaning of the word is to kneel. So if you think about that, whenever God does something in our life that we would call a blessing, Envision that God is actually kneeling down to us to do that work. And to receive a blessing, one might say that you also have to kneel, right? It's like a, an act of humility to kneel and to receive from God that which only God can give. And where that transaction happens... That's heaven. That is like God's presence filling us for God's purposes. And so we're quick to want and to desire a blessing from the Lord. But after you kind of work through that holy scenario there, why in the world would God want to bless us anyway? Why would God do that? And let me, let, yeah, because he loves us. Okay, yeah, true, but there is a greater purpose behind God giving us blessings than maybe we realize. So I thought it would be a great start to our new year together uh, as we continue through uh, the book of Ezekiel to pray through Psalm 67. So if you've got your phone or you've got notes, or have, I just encourage you to just to. Stay with Psalm 67 some throughout the course of the next few weeks. And uh, just consider what this psalm, as the psalmist is praying this, what he's actually doing when we ask God for a blessing. So here we go. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. 
May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. And so, God, uh, we gather once again as a people together around your word in your presence. And God, as we step into this new year, we do ask from a blessing from you. And Lord, pray, we pray that as you kneel down and you give us that blessing, that we will receive it in such a way as that we use that blessing to make your goodness and your character known throughout the whole world. God, we pray that as we continue our study tonight, that you will speak to us something new and enable us to give us a deep desire to embrace it and to do it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles to, to uh, Ezekiel 37. Uh, if you'll remember back uh, before the holidays, uh, Pastor Kurt had gotten us about halfway through uh, uh, Ezekiel 37, kind of one of the most famous sections of the book, The Valley of Dry Bones. And really, uh, as we're working through this section of the book, so much of what we are reading about points us forward to something in the future. And we, as followers of Jesus, we often say we're resurrection people. Like in our creed, we believe in the resurrection of the body, right? And so Ezekiel was seeing this valley of dry bones, and he saw resurrection. That new life came where there was absolute, utter, and complete death. Dry bones, very dry. Right, And so Ezekiel is going to uh, continue to receive uh, from the Lord uh, these the speeches from God that point uh, his people, people of Israel who are in captivity in Babylon, remember. Remember they had uh, gone into captivity uh, as exiles. Remember why? It's such an important part. Because their ways were unclean. They were worshiping other gods. Um, they were, had, were rebelling against God, and uh, they were worshiping idols. And it's just it was a it was their own doing that caused them to go into exile. They had wait. They'd been there for five years, and then Ezekiel begins to have these visions. And then there's about another five year span to where we are right now, when the temple, uh, when the people in when Jerusalem had been captured. All Jerusalem had been captured, the temple destroyed, and they're trying to process, right, all of what is going on because it's like they're at rock bottom, right? We say this often, it's always darkest before the dawn, right? 
Now, that's not necessary. Like, like when you look at that, that's not true. Uh, but we know what the parable means. It's, it's kind of a parable, right? And it's like the, this section of the book is exactly that. It's like, how can it get any worse than it already is? But you see, that is where hope is birthed. Like real hope, real hope that is abiding, always is birthed at the darkest times. Because really that's the only direction we have to go, is to hope that there is something new. Our theme uh, here, here at the church for Advent was together again, right? And we were making the case that it was the birth of Jesus that began this grand movement of bringing all people together as together again around Jesus, the Messiah, the one that would set all things to right. And so, this this um, in beginning in verse fifteen, you see Ezekiel pointing to that. That we are divided. That's pretty pretty easy to see, right? Uh, we're divided as a nation. Countries are divided against. I mean, humanity is divided. Now there are pockets of unity, of course. Hopefully, we are all unified here in this room around the risen Christ. That no matter what our politics is, and we have different political persuasions in the room. Would you agree with that? Oh no, really? Yes. We do, but that, that, that is like not even second on the list. It should be like 20th. But we are unified around, as followers of Jesus, around the Lamb. And it's interesting, we'll see some of this, that Jesus is both the Lamb of God, right? And he is shepherd. And that is what we, as followers of Jesus, we surround, we, we rally ourselves to. And so uh, here... This coming together is what Ezekiel begins to see. The people have come to life. Now what is next? Unity. The reversal of the Tower of Babel. Remember Genesis chapter 11, that those first 11 chapters kind of set the stage for what God is going to do. New. And bringing people back together is one of them. Everybody ready? All right, chapter 37, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Joseph, that is, to Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. Okay, this is like, wow. For them to have heard this uh, when they are sitting on the rivers in Babylon, by the rivers in Babylon, for them to have heard, this would have been stunning to them. Now they would have understood the first one, you know, right on a right on a stick uh belonging to Judah. They would have understood that because that's who they were. 
They were, there was only one tribe left. Yeah, kind of two, Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin had basically been absorbed into the tribe of Judah. Um, only one tribe left. If you'll remember back to 1 Kings chapter 12, there's allusions to 1 Kings chapter 12 in these verses. Um, when David uh, came to power in Israel, the northern tribes were divided. So that word's an important word. They were divided from the tribe of Judah. The northern tribes, the southern tribes, they were divided. And David, uh, through sheer will of guile and force, and maybe something to do with the hand of the Lord, brought the tribes together. But the northern tribes still resented it. They, re- they still resented um, what, what had happened uh, with Saul and with the way especially Solomon treated them. Solomon's David's son. So David dies. Solomon holds them to holds the kingdom together, and we say that uh, Solomon's name. You know what it means? Peace. Mm. Really, peace. Well, let's flip over to chapter twelve of Second. Excuse me, of First Kings. All right, First Kings chapter 12. Solomon dies, and Rehoboam, his son, is uh, the new king. And um, there is this person, his name is uh, Jeroboam, and who Solomon had basically chased away. Who was, who was hanging out in Egypt. And uh, let me just read some of this. We won't read it all, but this kind of gives you a sense. Was Solomon a king that brought peace or not? Rehoboam went to Shechem. This is Solomon's son. For Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had, a, had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam. This is all of Israel, the northern tribes. Uh, so they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father, what's his name? Who's the father? Solomon. Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? And this is his own people. Put a heavy yoke on us. And he... Uh, your father put a heavy yoke on us but now they're asking now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you so what do you think Rehoboam does yeah that sounds good we'll be unified we'll be all together and our kingdom will be unified in peace so, let me just summarize the story. Uh, Rehoboam goes to the elders. And um, the elders say, yeah, you need to lighten the load. That would be a great idea. And Rehoboam didn't like what, he said, what they said. So, it says, uh, then he goes to the young men. 
The young men who had grown up with him, like his buddies, says, what? Man, you just need to make it harsher for them. And who does he side with? He sides with his buddies. When all Israel, remember, whenever we're referring to Israel here, we're referring to the northern tribes. When all Israel, this is verse 16, saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's sons? To your tents, Israel, let your, let, look after your own house, David. And there the kingdom was torn apart. And you know, maybe you know a lot of the story. It's just, it, there's nothing pretty about uh, their, their interactions from then moving forward. It's just, you know, bad king after bad king after bad king. And, and Judah, bad king, good, bad king, bad king, Judah. Uh, then occasionally a good king jumps in. And it's just, it's, it's a mess. Was that asking too much? To lighten the burden of your own people? No. But when you are caught in a spiral and in a trap of sin, what do you always do? You view the world through the lenses of scarcity. That's a good pondering for the new year. When you find yourself tempted to sin, are you tempted to sin because you're seeing the world and everything in it through the lens of scarcity and not through the lens of abundance that God has for us? That led to the division. So back to Ezekiel. Oh, they're envisioning this great nation being unified again, right? Join them, verse 17, join them together into one stick so they will become one in your hand. Verse 18, when your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? They're like, it's, it's like so beyond their, their comprehension that this can and should happen, that they are, they're, they're beyond understanding, right? And I think that's, that's another important thing is that like for us to ask for a blessing from the Lord, we probably ask too small because we're wanting it just for us. But when we ask for a blessing from the Lord so that we can make his name known in the whole world, now that's a different prayer, right? So they're a little confused. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph. All these names kind of get like, what is he talking about here and there? Well, the names Ephraim, Joseph, and Israel are, in, are, are for all practical purposes synonymous. He's talking about the same group of people, all the tribes with the exception of Judah. Just different names. I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. 
I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful. What do you have there? It's kind of a weird, kind of a weird translation there. Um, a footnote says uh, all their dwelling in places where they have sinned. So that makes sense. That especially for these Israelites to backslide meant that they started to worship idols, right? Started to give their allegiances to someone else other than God. which is what backsliding in essence is. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any other offenses, for I will save them from their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Underline that phrase, they will be my people, and I will be their God. It's kind of a key phrase, I think, in the Old Testament. It also bleeds over into the New Testament. We're going to go, go take a look at some of this in a little while. But there, this is like Revelation 7. Yeah. <laughs> this is like Revelation 7, just full on. And so remember... There's this hopeful future. And one of the things that the book of Revelation does is that it helps us to see a hopeful future in light of our present circumstances. Hopeful. Now, it's hard for somebody to have hope when they've been driven from their homes, um, when they are occupied, when they are basically being told what to do by a foreign power. Um, And then you begin to hear news that the place that they most desperately want to go back to is destroyed. Jerusalem and their temple destroyed. Oh, and by the way, even before all that happened, God's presence left the temple. What? How how can that? There's hope. And then this phrase, uh, they will be my people and I will be their God. It repeats itself Uh, several times uh, throughout the Old Testament. Let me just share some of them with you uh, just to kind of get a sense of what does it mean for us to get in touch with the the reality that God is our God, that I will be, that God will be our God. What does that mean? This is Genesis 17, 8. This is the first time it is used. The whole land of Canaan, which has also been talked about here, the whole land of Canaan where you now reside, as he's talking to Abraham, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So what, is, what would you think that the land represents for the people? It's a blessing. It is a, it is a thing that God has given them, that come down to give them to help bring forth life. It is a blessing. So blessing is something that happens because 
God is our God. Verse 20, Exodus 29, 45, um, God says, Then I will dwell among them. I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. So for God to be our God means, secondly, that God is present. That God is in our... That, that is what set Israel apart from all of the other all of the other people around them is their God wasn't distant, far, and removed, but their God was actually in the middle of their camp, right? That God was with them. Do you hear the allusions to what happens in the New Testament? Do you hear what, like at Pentecost, when the Spirit is given, that God is not distant, but God is now with and God dwells in, in the tabernacle or in the temple. And now that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God dwells wherever followers of Jesus are. Right? But this presence, it's just a huge thing. To have the presence of God means that God is our God. Let's see. Remember back in Ezekiel 34, he says... I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant, David, will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Well, for the Lord to be their God, that means that uh, there's going to be a servant, David, that will be our prince, be our king. Um, Whenever Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, what were they saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the son of David. Right. So they, they understood what was happening. They, they, when, when it, to, to call on the name of David, it's not David. It's not like David's going to rise from the dead and be the new king in Israel when it was all unified, right? But it's no, it's someone after him in his line. And that is what they're saying when he comes into town. Uh, Ezekiel uh, 37, that's where we're at. 37, 23. And just note within the context what that means for God to be, uh, to be our God is that we will be saved from all of our rebelliousness. All of the ways that we turn away from God, we will be saved. And that's not just forgiven. It is to be cleansed from all our unrighteousness. What are your thoughts and questions so far? Pastor Steve, uh, first of all, Janie and I would like to thank you and Kurt You're for the phenomenal teachings that you provide. Sure. And uh, I would just like to ask, uh, what kind of stock do you put in the fact that Ephraim being the son of Joseph, mm-hmm. what kind of stock do you put in the fact that Ephraim's mother was a Gentile? The, the who? 
Ephraim's mother was uh, a Gentile. Yeah. Mm. And the northern kingdom was spread throughout the entire world. Yeah. Co-mingled in Gentiles. That's right. Can you speak to that? Well, uh, <laughs> it's what it is, it's beautiful. Because what it points to is God's hope for the whole world. Right? It's not just about the nation of Israel, not just about uh, Israelites or Jews, but it is, it, it, it like paints a picture of God's hope for the whole, the whole world, right? That all will be grafted. It, it's, it, it is so ironic. Pastor Kurt always reminds us of this. Uh, remember the spies who went into, uh, to the promised land? And there's only two of them that, brought back a good report and one of them's name was Caleb of all people do y'all have a have a child or a grandson named Caleb yeah you do his name is dog that's what it's what his name means is dog because he was an outsider he was a gentile and yet it is God at work in Caleb's life right and that that is supposed to be like oh get our attention that this is the way God works in the world he's bringing all people together. Very, very important. Thank you. And we see that uh, in this passage. And, um, you know, this is, again, it's no small thing for these people, these Hebrews to be brought back together. Okay. There, there's that. But then the whole world? So look at that. If you'll turn over into uh, Revelation. This is so fun. To, you know, just 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 remember this this last part, last third of the book of Ezekiel. There are so many overlaps between Ezekiel and the book of Revelation, and uh, I, I really think they both help us to understand uh, each book a lot better. So, if you look at uh, Revelation uh, chapter seven, um, let me just read part of this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So that's always fun to point out that in the book of Revelation, it's not just the mark of the beast that is used to mark people. There is the mark of God that is marking the people of God as well, on the foreheads. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Judah. And so it's like, here they... Like most of these tribes were long gone, scattered throughout the, scattered throughout the whole world, and here they are written and mentioned together as one group of a hundred and forty four thousand. They list out the names of the groups and or the names of the tribes. But then, chapter nine, this is where what we get in the New Testament gets expanded. So we got these two sticks. And you got one stick now, right? That he, he's saying, like, put it in their face that this is the way it is going to be. 
So that's that one stick. And now there's more that are being grafted in. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? It's always a funny thing to get asked a question by an angel. Uh, John is like, I ain't answering this. He said, sir, you know. And he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And so not only... What Ezekiel sees in his vision is Israel being brought back together. But what John sees in his vision is what the whole earth being brought, all the people of the world being brought back together. And that is, that is, that's the hope we are to have. And we talk about division, like division in our nation and um, we are quick to complain about the division. It's our calling to ask for a blessing from the Lord. And then when we receive that blessing from the Lord, that we use it to bring people together. Right? Because that is the hope that we have. Um, yeah. Questions? Surely. My question is, when you say the whole world, does it mean here too? Like in Midland? Yeah, the whole world. Yes. In the Bible it says whole. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. That's a, that is a phrase that is it's familiar to Ezekiel, that's familiar to the book of Daniel, and it gets picked up by John in the book of Revelation. That though, though, that's who follows Jesus, those who have come out of every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. Yes. Okay. Yep. Perfect. <clears throat> Anything else before we move on? Are they, I mean, they know that the northern tribes are gone and lost. It's been, a, it's been a while. So they know how impossible this is probably. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And that's, that's like the, and I think that's just pointing that out. Where they are at, like rock bottom, you know, the, the whole uh, uh, 
heroin addict metaphor that Pastor Kurt has been using to anchor us in the study. Um, yeah, they, they, they are at rock bottom. And then they start seeing something that it's like, what? Like 150, 200 years ago, all those people were killed and exiled by the Assyrians. And you're going you're, you're gonna to bring them back? With us? How stupid? What? That's hope. That, that is the hope that we are called to have, that when we even get at our absolute lowest and can't conceive that God can do anything to change the outcome of this, that we believe that, yeah. And that's what these passages are, are supposed to help the Israelites do, is to look and believe that in the future, that what seems impossible is going to happen. Right. What else? It's good. All right. Here we go. Verse 24. My servant David, again, he's not talking about David. He's talking about David's line, right? If you want to go uh, check out what's uh, happening here, you can go to Second Samuel chapter seven, and that can give, that gives you uh, insight onto some promises God made to David and to David's offspring that there would be someone from his line that would be on the throne forever, right? And that's and that would rule them. My servant David will be king over them. And they will have, and they all, and they will all have one shepherd. Certainly, what the New Testament picks up on is that Jesus becomes the shepherd, right? That he is the one that is shepherding the whole world back to God, right? They will follow my laws. And just, just note this it doesn't say, and he will forgive their sins. They will follow my laws. Or I think a better, like for some reason, law is just a kind of an off-putting word. Would you all agree with that? And I don't know why it is, but it just, and so that word word there is Torah, which is instruction or teaching. So that's a better, I think a better translation for whatever reason that we, we push back against the word law. And maybe say something about us, I don't know, but... Just, so just kind of read it like that. They will follow my instruction and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. And so one of the, one of the questions that arises is, is the, and, I, and I'm not saying this to try to get you mad or to get me in trouble or, or for us to be at each other's throats about something, but I just want you to know something, that are these prophecies that experienced fulfillment when the nation of Israel was created and the Israelites came back or Jews came back to the land? Maybe you could say yes, but notice they don't have a king ruling over them, do they? And so it seems like there's something more to come. And we certainly believe that this king that they're talking about is King Jesus. So that's just something to ponder. You're not mad at me yet, are you? Okay, good. Just ponder that. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. 
They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince. How often? Forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their number. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. And I will be their God. And here's the line again. And they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So even what we've gone over tonight, um, sanctuary, tabernacle, temple, whatever you, however you want to want to describe it, that is where God's presence dwells. That is literally the place where heaven touches the earth. Right now, as this hope has been fulfilled in Jesus. Where does God's presence dwell among us where we can say he is our God? Come on, this is easy. No. In in us, as followers of Jesus, you bear in your body the presence of God. And that presence is to illuminate and light up and bless the whole world. That your presence is to be a be a presence that doesn't drive people apart, but brings people together around the Lamb. And so if you'll turn over to Revelation 20, just notice how close, how similar this is, sounds. It's Revelation chapter 21. Oh, heck, I'll go ahead and start reading in in verse 1 of chapter 21, and I'll read through verse 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Really, that's better translated, by the way, a new sky and a new earth. Um, The word in Greek and Hebrew, sky, it's just confusing, but this is talking about the sky, Heaven doesn't need to be renewed. You know, God's, God's dwelling place. You, know, you see what I'm saying? So I saw a new sky and a new earth. For the first sky and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. As we, get, as we push through uh, Ezekiel chapter 40, we're going to see some of these images of new Jerusalem poke their heads out there as well. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let me read that again. Look. 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Question. Present or future event? Who said present? Yes, present. Because we know that, because the Spirit of God is with us. All the way back to Acts chapter 2. We've been given of the Spirit. God's presence is now dwelling with us. Right? Like from the incarnation, from when, from when Jesus took up residence in Mary's womb, this started happening. Right? Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Present or future? Present and future, you might say. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And so th- this, is, this is like the reality of God's presence among us is a acute, real present event. This is not something that we are looking forward to in the future. Now, will it become even more acute in the future? Yes, I will give us that. But it is a reality that we can connect with right now, every moment of every day, that God is dwelling in us as followers of Jesus. And that truth should lead us to make choices that would honor that presence and share that presence, that blessing uh, with other people. For God to be our God is to acknowledge his presence now in us. Thoughts? Questions? Go ahead. The Gentiles were included at this point together, right? Yeah, especially especially in that reading from Revelation, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. In the book of Revelation, um, the people who rebel against God are inhabitants of the earth. Um citizens of the earth you might say revelation always calls it inhabitants those are the those are those who are rebelling against god people who are from every nation tribe tongue and language that's that's who they are they're people who have come out and they are now the followers of god yes which includes israel uh, a, a full number of israelites and a full number of gentiles yes But let, let's, let's, any other questions before we move on to finish this up? All right, notice this. Verse 27, my dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God. This is verse 27, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Whoa. Do you see what's at stake here? that it is up to us to recognize and to respond to the very presence of God in our lives so that other people will know that God is God. Man, 
what amazing calling that we all have. Please, don't ever find yourself, oh, I don't have much to offer. No, 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 you don't. Please. Your life, recognizing and responding to the presence of God, makes a difference in the world. Do you just notice that? Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Right. What else? What other questions do you have? Yeah, so remember, it, it just flip over really quick. <coughs> Acts chapter 2. It's just really, really powerful to kind of read, read this Ezekiel passage, read that Revelation passage in the context of Acts chapter 2. Because the people that experienced the coming of the Spirit of God as it did on Pentecost were from Where? Everywhere. When the day of Pentecost came, this is verse 1, they were all together in one place. They, meaning the about 150 or so. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be, seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And so God had brought, brought, brought them all back together, right? People from all. And then what did they do after this experience? They went back out. That's the story of the book of Acts. It's like the reversal of Babel is that here and then they're scattered back out to bring people together. Fascinating. Other questions? So one of the things that I'm uh, committing to do this year and uh, hopefully doing myself and inviting you to join me in on how do we is is there something that we can do maybe a little bit different that can help us stay rooted in acknowledging and responding to the presence of God in our life and I've, I, I did this on Christmas Eve and again last this past Sunday and I'm going to keep doing it until y'all are sick of it because I want I want us to catch a vision for this how do we Recognize and respond to the presence of God in our lives. Four questions that I want you to try to carve out of carve out some time. Maybe it's once a day, maybe it's once a week, but put it in your calendar and give God some space to ask you these four questions. And the four questions are these: Where are you? 
And I think it's easy to, to do this. It's not like a location question that you're tonight, you're in this room, us having Bible study together. But like, it's where are you in, like, what does your anxiety or your fears do to you? Does it cause you to go to a place where you're trying to manage that by yourself? Or does it cause you to go to a place where you're turning those fears and anxiety over to God? Because that, that's the question that God, that's the original question God asked to people. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, what are they doing? They're ashamed and they're afraid. And what are they doing? They're hiding. Where are you? And to be honest with God and just a- answer the question. Honestly, take some work, take some time. It's not easy. Second question is, what do you want? So Jesus, there's two of John the Baptist's disciples following behind Jesus. And John uh, says, look, the Lamb of God. And they start following behind and Jesus just stops and turns around. What do you want? Like, picture Jesus doing that to you. You being very curious about... And you have to answer the question of Jesus. What do you want? Well, they kind of deflected the answer and they said, uh, where are you staying? Ooh, maybe it's that they felt like that they needed, they just wanted to be in God's presence. Wow. <laughs> what do you want? Name your desire in God's presence. And then have the courage to ask God a question back. God, what do you think about that desire? Third question. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Are you aligning your life with mine? In essence, is what Peter Jesus is asking Peter in that question. Do you trust that I'm absolutely unequivocally, always thinking about you, believing in you, willing your good, do you love me? Like, to revel in and to contend with the fact that we are loved that much by God is some of the most important work that we can do. To stay rooted in God and in his presence. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is love. These are all things, affirmations in the book of 1 John. God is love. And if God is love, what does that mean for me today? And am I embracing that? Fourth question. And it all applies to what we've been talking about tonight. It's, it's, the it's, the, it's really a follow-up statement that Jesus makes to Peter after Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus, well, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. It's like, be the people in the world that reflect my goodness and my character back into the world in order to bring other people to keep the sheep, to bring the sheep together, you might say. Feed my sheep. It is a question or a statement of 
what our true purpose really is. Psalm 67, may the Lord bless us so that, why? So that the nations will know your ways. Here in Ezekiel, My dwelling place will be them, will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, it is my hope that, from a spiritual perspective, um, and really notice that all of life is spiritual. We we try to compartmentalize it, but all of life is spiritual. That it is our hope that this coming year that you will grow spiritually that those four questions can help you do so but it's not just for you but it's so that the whole world can know more of the character of God and that he's for them man I can't tell you how glad I am that we did not get to chapter 38 Uh, chapter 38 and 39 we're going to be doing some slogging uh, through through those uh, chapters um, Gog and Magog and it's interesting that Gog and Magog are mentioned here in these two chapters uh, several times guess what book in the Bible the only other time Gog and Magog are mentioned you got it Revelation man awesome so there's connection there and uh, we will pick that apart beginning next week any last word for the good of the group All right, let's pray. So God, we boldly ask that you kneel down as we kneel down in our hearts and that you bless us in this coming year in a way that we would not expect and that we would receive that blessing as a gift to set us afire, to share your nature, your character, your goodness, your love with a divided and broken world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're welcome. Much love, grace, and peace. Y'all be sure to tell Pastor Kurt that we burned his, burned his menorah. Uh, again, you can't, you can't ever have candles on stage without them burning, right? It just, it just, just looks dead. So there you go. Good night, everyone.